Tonight, it's Rodgers and Hammerstein's magnum opus. We're pitting Oklahoma against South Pacific. This is Musical Theater Deathmatch. Welcome to Musical Theater Deathmatch, the podcast where two recovering theater kids pit two musicals against each other and try to determine which is the better show. My name is Andrew Favaloro. I'm Kelsey Goldman. Uh, And we're here. We didn't skip any episodes. We totally recorded The Title is a Number. We released it in January or February. And if you didn't see it, it's because you weren't paying attention. Yeah. Wait, sorry. I I had to move house. It was a whole thing. I wasn't set up for anything for like a long time. Uh, it's, it's totally great. And this is actually like one of the first times I think I am seeing uh, into your new podcast recording studio slash bedroom, slash, living room. I don't even know what room you're in. Slash bedroom. I have room for a whole desk in my bedroom because it is more than 72 square feet big. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really exciting. There's a plant, and, you know. Yeah, it's a beautiful plant. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we're back. Uh, We will do the title as a number at some point, Um, but today, not so much. Andrew, what what have you been up to? Ah, boy. Uh, So you have read the list and you just want to corner me into this one. I do. I've started watching the NBC quote-unquote comedy Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Quote-unquote comedy. I like that because is it? (laughs) It very much isn't, uh, given how much I wept at the season one finale. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a very silly time. I figured it would fill the uh, glee-shaped hole that's been in my heart ever since Glee stopped being good at the end of season one, uh, and it it hasn't quite done that. But I'm enjoying it regardless. Um, I think it's time for our you know our thing we do each episode where we check in and see the Tony Awards. Did they happen? The 2020 Tony Awards are coming any day now. Any day now. <laughs> <laughs> any day now. Yeah, I I have faith. At this point, I've decided I'm a 2020 Tony Award truther. I'm looking forward to it. They haven't said anything lately, but who knows? I honestly want them to never happen because I don't want Aaron Tveit to get rewarded for his worst role ever. (laughs) Um, And I, over the weekend, actually looked into uh, notorious snubbed show Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. And while it wasn't incredible... I'm still upset it didn't even get any nomination, particularly for Best Actor. Like, you could have just at least given Aaron Tveit anything less than a, <laughs> a guarantee. Yeah. Um, should we introduce our guest? I think we should introduce our guest. Yeah. Uh, and we're excited to have him on today's episode because, as we said, our theme is we're taking a look at Rodgers and Hammerstein's magnum opus. Uh, And our guest today has spent 12 years working for Rodgers and Hammerstein. He was working as their director of materials and foreign licensing. He actually worked on restorations of both of the shows we're taking a look at today. So let's give it up for Rob Shapiro. Thank you. It's great to be here. (laughs) Um, So Rob, you, uh, 
you do not currently work with Rogers and Hammerstein I, right now. I don't. I left Rogers and Hammerstein in 2018, but I, I did spend uh, quite a long, a long decade and two years there. Are you still in the theater world? Just out of curiosity. I love theater. Still writing. I actually just wrote a song for for a gala for a regional theater, which I'm excited about. So that was that was a nice change of pace from doing nothing. Any any hot theater takes you want to give us? You know, we're we're throwing out stuff in the, the first section. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the 2020 Tonys should happen in five years, Ooh. and they just give everybody the awards. Like when you're a kid and you're playing soccer. And it's just like, you know what? You came back. Here's a trophy. Here's a trophy. Uh, you made it. You made it. You did it. Participation awards. I'm into that. Yeah. yeah. That way, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief gets the award it so rightly deserves. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, Kelsey, we're here to do a showdown. Why don't you run us through the rules of the showdown one more time? Okay, so we are here to pit two musicals against each other um, because, you know, conflict is a thing that I personally love, which is <laughs> <laughs> incredibly not true. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll start with a brief historical introduction and a plot summary of both of our musicals. Then we'll discuss the pros and cons or like general opinions, um, anything we want to talk about, why we think they're important, etc. And when we're ready, we'll call a vote and um, decide who the winner of the death match is. Somewhere in there, there will also be a game. Always a game! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in this world like a game. Ooh. Get ready for jokes like that a lot. That should have been the title of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. I've, I've missed Rogers and Hammerstein puns. <laughs> I've missed them. Uh, Kelsey, why don't you start with the uh, show which was chronologically released first, which was Oklahoma. Yeah, um, as Andrew said earlier, we are pitting Oklahoma and South Pacific against each other. Um, Oklahoma, if you haven't, you know, heard of it, I don't really know how you found the podcast because it doesn't seem like it would be up your alley. Um, it debuted in 1943. It was actually Rodgers and Hammerstein's first musical together, I believe. It was based on the play Green Girl the Lilacs by Lynn Rigg, which was mounted, I think, for the first time in 1930. It's set in 1906 in the Oklahoma Territory um, and tells the story of Lori Williams and her two rival suitors, Curly, a cowboy, and Judd, a farmhand. That's a little bit of a simplification of the plot, but you know, that's basically the thing. There's some other fun people, that sort of thing. The Broadway production opened in 1943. It was the first Broadway musical choreographed by Agnes DeMille, um, and it ran for an, at the time, unprecedented 2,212 performances. It did not win any Tony Awards because it debuted before the Tonys were a thing. Um, they did win, I believe, a special Tony Award at the 50th anniversary of Oklahoma Tonys, and then Rodgers and Hammerstein won a special Pulitzer Prize for it in 1944. It's had a number of revivals and adaptations, including the Oscar-winning film adaptation in 1955 starring Shirley Jones, and most recently the 2019 Broadway production, which those two things are what I'll be basing most of my opinions on, <laughs> because yes. uh, those are the two most recent things that I've seen. My high school also did it when I was in school, so <laughs> there's, there's, lots to, there's lots to think about there. That's basically... Oklahoma. I think there's a lot of other things you can say about it. It is a really well-known, I think, important musical because of when it sort of did 
the musical thing, <laughs> but I think we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm here to talk about South Pacific. Yeah, so after Oklahoma, Rogers and Hammerstein continued to collaborate. They wrote two more shows called Allegro and Carousel, but their fourth show together debuted in 1949, and it's called South Pacific, uh, a story which is set in the Pacific theater of World War II. It's actually based on a book, a collection of essays that was released in 1946, just one year after the war ended, called Tales of the South Pacific. It's an adaptation of two of those stories from Tales of the South Pacific, one of which focuses around a nurse named Nellie and her lover, a French plantation owner on this island named Emile. The two of them kind of go back and forth about whether they should be in love and are they in love or do they know each other well enough. And then things kind of get complicated when she learns that he has two children from a Polynesian woman from the island. She kind of has a little bit of a a crisis of faith. And he, as he is distraught, goes off and winds up in a mission for the American Navy. Running parallel to this story is the story of Lieutenant Cable, who arrives on the island and falls in love with a young woman from a neighboring island called Bally High. He also winds up on this mission with Emil. Cable dies. Emil survives. Everybody who can lives happily ever after. Uh, at the time it came out, it was lauded for its direct uh, it's direct and stark condemnation of structural racism, primarily with the song You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. But it also features really strong love ballads like Some Enchanted Evening and Younger Than Springtime. The original cast stars Mary Martin, who is the original Maria in Sound of Music on Broadway. She was playing Nellie. Since then, it's been revived in England in 1988, 2001, and 2007. And it's been revived on Broadway in 2008, starring Kelly O'Hara, Matthew Morrison, my beloved Glee Boy, and Danny Burstein. In 1950, it pretty much swept the Tony Awards, being nominated 10 times and winning all 10 awards, including Best Musical and all four acting awards. The revival in 2008 won six Tony Awards, including Best Revival and Best Leading Actor, I believe. I think that's pretty much everything I have to say about South Pacific. Um, Rob, you are our resident Rogers and Hammerstein expert, and the question I wanted to ask you is, uh, which kind of came first, your love of Rogers and Hammerstein or working with them? My love of Rogers and Hammerstein definitely came first. When I was in grad school and I needed a place to work in between the two years, I was like, where can I work? I'm going to write to all these organizations that like I love, like Playbill or you know, Broadway.com and places like that. And, and then I was like, Rogers and Hammerstein, they have an office. I didn't know, you know, what they did at the time. Mm-hmm. I just knew that they licensed, you know, musicals and, and published sheet music. I really didn't know much about them. And I ended up getting an internship there, which is how I started my career there. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I loved Rogers and Hammerstein, but I didn't know all of them. I really started with, of course, The Sound of Music. It was one of the first stage shows I ever saw regionally, I think in the round of all things. Uh, on Long Island in the mid-80s, I think. And I loved the movie growing up. I had seen Oklahoma, the movie. Uh, I didn't know a lot of the other stuff, actually. You know, I'd heard the songs. They were sort of like, it was just out there. All of the songs were just everywhere. Everybody was always singing them. And then I saw, I think, Oklahoma in high school. We didn't do any Rodgers and Hammersteins. I never performed in any Rodgers and Hammerstein shows. So I didn't really get to know these shows that well until I started working there. And then, of course, I, I learned almost all of their shows and, and came to love them even more just from 
repeated viewings and seeing them in different formats in, in amateur and professional productions. And, and of course, the, the Broadway revivals were just the ones that made me love them more. Yeah. Um, and so we're taking a look at two of uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's works here today. We actually asked you, we said, if we wanted to do the Magnum Opus, what would you consider to be the best two? Uh, I, I wondered if you have any thoughts on the remaining 10 shows that they co-wrote together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think other people would argue would throw in Carousel and The King and I there and probably The Sound of Music. Um, I love Oklahoma and South Pacific the most. I'm, it's the shows that I, I know the best as well, so I'm a little bit biased, of course. Um, but Carousel is just a great score. It's just beautiful. The productions have been fantastic. The Sound of Music, I think... People know the movie so well, but not the stage show as much. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of great writing in the stage show. The libretto is so wonderfully tight, and everything is set up so well. So so the payoff is, is great in the end. It, it gets a lot of slack because people think it's a little cheesy. A lot of people, you know, only show their kids act one because you know they don't want (laughs) they don't want history to take away from the wonderful woman becoming these uh kids mom and uh the king and i also is is a great show but i think is more problematic the more times i see it and i love the revival with kelly Um, Mm o'hara i thought that was something wonderful (laughs) but um um, (laughs) but it's not it's not the top of my list yeah, I, I thought this was interesting because I think other than The Sound of Music, which like I just I don't think you could avoid in the cultural zeitgeist, <laughs> um, Oklahoma is like probably the Rogers and Hammerstein property that I've engaged with the most. And South Pacific is probably the Rogers and Hammerstein property that I've engaged with the least. So this was like a really interesting experience for me. Um, uh, other than maybe like Cinderella, which like I... That the 1997 Cinderella movie with the Rodgers and Hammerstein songs is like was one of my all time favorite things. But I, it's like kind of on like a different plane for me. <laughs> it's like a different it's a different thing. It's like I sometimes forget about it because it was like it's it was TV and then there was the Broadway show, but it just didn't have as much of an impact, even though it, I have a special you know place in my heart for it. I didn't really know South Pacific in, until the Broadway revival, until I actually started working with the materials at work. And then I fell in love with it. You know, I'd only heard the record that my mom played over and over again. I I had the, you know, the 1955 version film of, of Oklahoma on VHS as a kid. And I watched it a lot, <laughs> that and, and Carousel, which like... I always hated that Carousel was sad at the end, so I watched that one a lot less. <laughs> so for this sort of thought experiment, um, I wanted to, even though you said it's not good, I wanted to watch the the movie version of South Pacific. Not that it's not good. I think I just don't don't like it as much. <laughs> to be fair, I, I don't know if it's a great adaptation of the material. Like, I couldn't tell you because I haven't seen, like, a good version before we drill down too much into the specifics of either of these shows, uh, it is customary at this point in the podcast for me to torture our guests with a game of my own invention. Uh, I know, right? It's so awful. But our game today is entitled Obfuscated Acronym OA. How's that for an, uh, <laughs> Rogers and Hammerstein pun for you? Uh, what I have done here is I've taken a couple of the iconic songs from South Pacific and Oklahoma, and I have turned them into acronyms. I've taken just the first letter of each line of a couple of lines of songs. 
I'm going to read them out to our guests. If at any point they think they can identify the line of the song that this is referring to, they can buzz in by saying their name. Uh, and if they can correctly identify the name of the song, they will get a point. If not, it will uh, go to the, the point will go to the other player. I think is how we're going to do this. Uh, so, as an example, if instead of Rodgers and Hammerstein, we were talking about Carly Rae Jepsen songs, and I read out the acronym H I J M Y A T I C B H M N S C M M, our guest would chime in and say, "Oh, hey, that's Call Me Maybe." A great song. A great bop. A bop. A great bop. <laughs> a bop. I, uh, Can't wait I for that like... jukebox musical. <laughs> I'm going to connect it to Rodgers and Hammerstein. Carly Rae did play Cinderella on Broadway. So sure. it's a great example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I almost put in the uh, the Nanny's theme song as my example instead. <laughs> but I went with, uh, went with Carly Rae because it connected better than Fran Drescher does. Oh, damn it. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. If you guys are ready, I am pasting in our first acronym into the chat, and that acronym is I Y E A E I U I I L I I L I I L I I L I I L W A W G. Do either of you recognize that song? Oh man! Oh boy! I tried to go in order of obvious to least. Let's go back to Carly Rae. You said, but you also said earlier that the songs all like include, like they're all like pretty iconic songs. They include the title. This is hard, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> this <damn>. is. <laughs> I'm trying to like go through all the songs. Uh, can we get character hint? Yeah, can we yes. get? Uh, this is, this is from South Pacific, and Nelly is singing. Rob, I got it. Cool, Rob. What do you think it is? I'm in love with a wonderful guy. I'm in love with a wonderful guy. <laughs> If you'll excuse an expression I use, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love with a wonderful guy. <laughs> yeah, I got there right after you chimed in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the current scoreboard is Rob with one point. Our next acronym. Uh, I J A G W C S N I I A T F. Rob, I'm just a girl who can't say no. I'm just a girl who can't say no. I'm in a terrible fix. I always say, come on, let's go. Just when I are to say nix. Uh, yes, two points for Rob. Woo! I'm not good at this game. <laughs> this, is, this is hard. It's hard. <laughs> All right. Here comes acronym number three. C-A-D-A-G-B-S-W-I-T-Y-O-I-T-S-W-I-T-Y-O-I-T-S-W-I-T-Y-O-I-T-S. W-T-F-O-T. I will tell you that this is a song from Oklahoma. I got there, but I, now I can't figure it out. Popularized by Billy Crystal in When Harry Met Sal. Oh, no. oh, Kelsey. Kelsey, what do you got? Sorry with the fringe on top. Yes. Sorry with the fringe on top. Chicks 
better scurry when I take you out in the Surrey. When I take you out in the Surrey with the fringe on top. Watch that fringe. In the- <laughs> I was just looking at WTF OT. I was like, what? What the? F- <laughs> with the fringe? Yeah. What the fringe? <laughs> what the fringe on top? This is a hard game, Andrew. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay with that. I like hard games. <laughs> so, score of two to one in favor of Rob. Our next acronym starts S E E Y M S A S. Yes, Rob, chime in. What do you got? Some enchanted evening. Some enchanted evening. You may see a stranger. Some enchanted evening. The score is currently three to one. Rob, here is our next acronym. D S A G A M Y S A Kelsey. I think I might be I, I I might be wrong, actually. Go for it. Go for it. I was yeah. gonna say that it's people will say we're in love, but I don't think that's right. It is in fact people will say we're in love. <laughs> It's two to three. This whole uh, keeping score thing is new to the podcast. Because <laughs> I usually win. Because <laughs> <laughs> because we kept score one time and you won. Is what <laughs> All right. Our, uh, this is our final one. I don't know what I'll do for a tiebreaker. Uh, so, Rob, you better win it. The score is <laughs> Pressures on. Must bring honor to my people. Three, Rob, to two, Kelsey. Uh, here's our final acronym. T I. N L A D N I T W T I N Y C N T I A L A D T I N L A D. Oh, Kelsey. There's nothing like a dame. There is nothing like a dame. We We can just leave it a tie, I think. I'm happy with a draw. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, So I thought that was just kind of a fun way to to sneak some clips into the episode, which obviously everybody else listening has heard at this point, even though we have not. And that's fine. Um, (laughs) I live in my head all the time. (laughs) All the time. Rent free. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so uh, I think we are planning to start talking about Oklahoma. Did anybody have any initial thoughts they want to start with? I mean, I, I kind of said this before, but I, I think this this show, uh, and like I don't have any sort of theater history background or just like my own personal theater fandom. It was like 
really important both to me as a, as a theater fan, but I think also when it when it um, came out when it debuted was like sort of a new a newer kind of take on what theater could be and what like the sort of form of a musical was almost perfected here in a way that people hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is like so weird and impressive to think about (laughs) Um, because you just sort of expect a a book musical to be a thing now. You just know what it is. But I think that really wasn't, you know, we were coming from sort of like operetta as, as an entree to, to, this kind of thing then. And I think um, just sort of this, this show's importance in sort of like theater history is something that needs to be like put out there when we're considering things. <laughs> um, Absolutely. I, I totally agree. It's so interesting because like personally, I, I don't know that I gravitated toward Oklahoma when I first saw it as a kid. Um, you know, I, it, it just sort of feels like, in some ways a hokey story about, you know, a girl who can't decide, you know, who to go with to a, a box social, you know, as a kid is like, what is that? Um, but, you know, as I became more interested in theater and started studying it, you know, I started reading, you know, original source material and then Oklahoma and then seeing the the Broadway production in 2002 with Patrick Wilson. And then of course, you know, the Hugh Jackman version, which was the same production, but it's Hugh Jackman. So you got you to gotta watch that. Um, you know, I just became enamored with it. And it's just kind of such such an amazing piece when you learn about that they sort of created this from, you know, not nothing, but they were just sort of experimenting with it. And it was so revolutionary at the time to, you know, make all the songs work together with the scenes to get all the dance from Agnes DeMille to further the plot. It's, it's so, you know, it is things we take for granted now. And yet at the time it was just like, wait, you can do that. And, and I think for me seeing the Daniel fish production just sort of added this element of even made me appreciate the libretto even more because it's so layered. And by taking away a lot of the elements of the, the more, broad productions it made me appreciate the messaging of it too yeah yeah i i i think rogers and hammerstein uh is really in this place that it's going to sort of become more like shakespeare in that like we're going to see all these sort of different interpretations and and um reading into layering in the in the in the books and in the in the libretto and and in the songs even i i saw the the daniel fish version as well and i i loved it i know it wasn't for everyone but i (laughs) i loved it a lot um as someone who loves this show and like most of the forms that i've seen it in um i I will say I, I was saying before that I watched this the VHS of the movie a lot when I was a kid, and I always uh, hated the Dream Ballet in when I was little. I always hated it, and I I haven't watched the movie in a long time, but I watched it this weekend in preparation for this. Um, and I was like, I really like took for granted how revolutionary this kind of dancing would have been mm. in 1943, <laughs> like. It's amazing. It's it's so good, yeah. and it would have been so revolutionary on Broadway. And and uh, the fact that they sort of cast nobodies in the show originally, they didn't. You know, they right. really had like a specific artistic vision for what it could be. That they wanted it to be a story, and they wanted everyone who was in the role to uh, sort of 
you know, contribute to that story. It's just it that part is so amazing to me. And then also the songs are just like so timeless in a lot of ways. <laughs> I came into this being like, well, Oklahoma's gonna win this. But then I was like doing research and I was like, I I could be swayed in some other ways. But um, I I love this musical a lot. And for me, one of the things that made me love it again, because I had gotten to a place where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like there's some messages and stuff in here that I don't love. But seeing the 2019 production where there's like a lot of like reclamation happening mm-hmm. of, of sort of like Lori's agency and and even like Judd's in some ways. Um, totally. It, it really like made me be like, oh no, I love this again. Roger Sanders are geniuses. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, can can you guys uh, just for some of our listeners and or hosts who didn't get the chance to see the 2019 revival, uh, can you explain about some some of the changes that were made for that revival and what made it so special? I mean, it's kind of interesting because not there aren't there weren't really any like libretto or or or, or right. musical right. No changes. changes to the words right at all really yeah they just yes. the orchestration was different. It was sort of a smaller orchestra, kind of bluegrassy, um, had a little bit of a modern feel, especially actually in the in the Dream Ballet Act One finale, in which it get you know everything's a sort of acoustic, and then all of a sudden it becomes very rock and mm-hmm. and, and very sexy and very different. Sound design was just kind of awesome, but the staging and just the way that you enter the theater was very different because it was sort of bare bones, almost bare stage, lots of wood. You know, you're used to seeing Oklahoma with, you know, 40 people, big dance chorus, lots of, lots of singers. And this, you know, was a very small cast playing, you know, a few roles, um, but saying all the same dialogue you're used to hearing. And it was directed in so that everybody's just a lot of times, everybody's sitting on stage watching the same story, even if they're not in the scenes. And so the focus was really about the words and the story. And and you said, you know, you think differently about Lori and Judd, and it made me appreciate uh, the relationships between Lori and Judd and Curly in a new way. You know, usually Judd is very kind of a, a very obvious villain. And here right. it's not. He's become much more sympathetic. And, and sort of that take was very new. There was also Chili served at intermission, which was cool. Um, actually, you know, when I first saw it, I didn't know what to make of it. I wasn't sure that I liked it at St. Anne's Warehouse. And I just kind of walked in. I was like, I don't know. And then I started describing it uh, to my wife. And I was like, I don't know if you need to see it. And I start explaining the entire production. And I was like, no, actually, I think you do need to see it. And I need to see it again. <laughs> I think, I think the, the starkest thing uh, that stood out to me as being indicative of the direction that uh, it went in was in the finale when they're singing Oklahoma. Rebecca Nomi Jones, who played Lori, is angry. Like, mm. she is angry about what has happened which makes sense because like shit went down <laughs> um and it's just it there's there's this like the, this feeling behind all the words in that she's singing that you don't get from previous productions mm-hmm. um but a lot of uh, like the those two characters Lori and judd specifically were very uh just revealing for me because when i went back and watched the movie this weekend i i had kind of like fallen out of love with the movie because of 
the character that Curly is in which he mm-hmm. is like, for me, who's like a nerd and like, you know, was bullied as a kid. I'm like, he's a bully. Like he's, he's yeah. not a, like a yeah. dude that I would want to hang out with. And like you, I started to see that like in high school and I'm just like, you know, I don't know if I like this. And then, you know, his whole, it, it's hard to see Judd as a villain when you've seen like real ass Curly's in the world as villains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the 2019 production also did a good job of making Curly still like charming and mm-hmm. and like redeemable in some ways, but like kind of a jerk. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just I really appreciated the way that that show put the whole the whole show into a new perspective for me, and also going back made me like reappreciate the the original for my original version at least <laughs> um yeah so in preparation for this i watched the uh the hugh jackman version we were talking about earlier and hugh jackman uh you know i think kind of there's this parody version of hugh jackman mm. of like you know just this ridiculous showman he's the guy who uh really loved being in the tom hooper Les Miserables movie he like kind of takes himself seriously but also was kind of a joke and kind of knows it uh it was very weird to see hugh jackman from 20 years ago like playing it straight uh being just effortlessly charming and you know still like singing really well and it's like oh yeah hugh jackman is like a legitimate triple threat right who, who isn't getting his due uh and that was really powerful and i definitely see what you're talking about of uh of curly being a bit of a bully <laughs> but i mean at least in in the production i saw Judd is beyond repair. <laughs> like he, he is very vicious. He attempts murder and he sexually assaults a woman. And so like when you're, yeah, no, it's bad. he's still, he's still very bad. Right. Yeah. So when you're talking about it, like softens his edges in yeah. the revival, I'm curious about what that looks like. Yeah. I, I mean, well, the first thing is that he's not, he's not brooding in the sense of, well, he's not actually a, a large character, you know, figure mm. Patrick Vale was sort of not Shul or Hensley, you know, he's, he's skinny and tall and charming in his own way. And it's just sort of this kind of uh, different interpretation of this farmhand who's just quiet and going about his work and lonely as all heck. And, you know, they did take some obvious stage, you know, liberties with the staging at the end in, in the way that Judd dies to make a very visceral point about I think America and Oklahoma and Indian territory and all of the history that comes with that. But in sort of the reframing of the scenes in the smokehouse, which are almost in total blackness. So you're not seeing them. You're just hearing their voices and hearing the words. It's a lot softer. You, you do hear Curly's manipulation of Judd Moore. And in doing that, it makes Judd a more sympathetic character. Um, so at the end, you do see that he feels like why he's pushed and the stakes are amplified. I think um, I, for me seeing that production, la- you know, sort of layered itself back onto all the other productions that I've seen and made me appreciate, you know, Hammerstein and Lynn Riggs a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Like I definitely watched uh, the old versions with a new, like a new lens <laughs> Um, and I think like, I want to see more of this, like more of this sort of reinterpretation. Like it makes me want to see Daniel Fish's interpretation of South Pacific, if I can move mm-hmm. us in that direction. Um, um, you know, cause it's, it's interesting cause, cause Curly is, is not an unsympathetic character, but not necessarily like 
I would say a hero. Our 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 heroes in both of these musicals like kill a dude. Like that's a, a plot <laughs> point. <laughs> like, totally true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Musical theater. It's, <laughs> it's um, but yeah. So as 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 much as I have like all these deep and and uh, like nostalgic and and both nostalgic for like my childhood and nostalgic for like 2019 um, <laughs> <laughs> about uh, Oklahoma, I really actually enjoyed getting like getting into South Pacific because I have really like zero like exposure to it other than that's awesome the songs that like everyone knows you know like I, I know mm-hmm. kind of watch that man right out of my hair like I know that song because I like musical theater <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so for me that was a really interesting thing and I wonder like what your sort of origin story for South Pacific is uh, South Pacific I saw the dress rehearsal, the invited dress rehearsal of the Broadway production. And that was really my introduction to the show uh, as a full piece. And that was probably the best way I I think anybody could have been introduced to that show. I mean, I love Kelly O'Hara. Paolo Schott was wonderful. It had a great cast. Um, Danny Burstein. um, I assume he was Luther, right? Yeah, he was Luther Billis. I'm blocking on the woman who played uh, Bloody Mary, who was wonderful. Um, Matthew Morrison, of course, you know, incredible voice. Um, and because it was all new, even working at Rogers and Hammerstein, there's all these sort of baggage that comes with, you know, there's sort of assumptions that come with Rogers and Hammerstein from being in the culture of sort of, again, this hokiness of Oklahoma, of carousel, uh, of sound of music. So to go in and see a show about, you know, war and where the main love plots have racism in them and people grip grappling with these this you know their love of these people that they you know feel so conflicted with uh it was really wonderful because it was just an evening you know awash with this great story and of course and uh that production had 40 pieces in the pit, which you got to see because the stage, you know, retracted back and you, and the orchestra just swelled. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, and there is a, it is streaming, I think on, on Broadway HD. Um, so I mean, if, it, if anybody hasn't seen it, that's, that's the one to view. Matthew Morrison's not in that one. Sorry to say, but, uh, I don't like Matthew Cable Morrison, great. so that's fine with me. <laughs> I, I have mixed feelings about Glee. So, uh, oh, so uh, big same. <laughs> I don't think I made the first season. So, <laughs> sorry. I mean, but Matthew Morrison is undeniably a talent. Like, he, he is. His voice sounds great and he can dance like nobody's business. He's yeah. talented, but I don't know if there's right. anything behind those eyes. Oh, yeah, totally not. There isn't. <laughs> um, my introduction to South Pacific and Oklahoma were both in the same. I took a history of musical theater class in high school, which was really just wow. an excuse for the band director to show us movies all day. Nice. nice. <laughs> Sweet. It's an energy that I kind of took on when I became a teacher. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What I remember about South Pacific in comparison to Oklahoma was like, you could definitely tell it was still Rogers and Hammerstein. You, like the musical stylings felt very similar. They didn't feel like, you know, the shows that I was putting on in drama club at the time. But it, it did feel a little bit more substantive than Oklahoma. And I think to Kelsey's point about like, we're going to look at these like Shakespeare and we're going to get all these reinterpretations. I'm kind of 
interested <laughs> in the idea of like Oklahoma. It's the stakes are way lower. It's a little bit more frivolous. Whereas like South Pacific is a about a war and be very specifically about one particular war. Uh, and I'm just kind of curious about like how well you can even, you know, like do the, the cliched Shakespeare thing of like set it in 1920s gangland Chicago. Uh, like, I mean, so t- you, you could do that, but you could easily set it in, in the sixties. Like you could, you know, there, there have been Western troops in Southeast Asia yeah. since then, basically, if not before then. Um, yeah. I think, I think it would, it, it's harder, but it's not impossible. I don't know. I just, I, I think I would like to see even it reinterpreted um, like in the same time period, just with, because, you know, this was my first real experience with South Pacific and I was sort of watching and I, I listened to the, the 2008 uh, cast album first before I did anything else. Um, and then I watched the movie and um, hopefully I can watch that Broadway HD version of, uh, of that uh, at some point. Um, Broadway HD wants to sponsor our podcast. We will happily do ads. <laughs> um, and I, it was hard because it's, coming at it from like a 2021 point of view it's i really like understand that the points it was it it is making would have been incredibly progressive and revolutionary at the time but like don't always like come off the way that they would have wanted them to because like you've got to be carefully taught is is a song that uh, that is like that like that that would be like crazy now you know to to you know mm-hmm. talk about how racism is is taught you know which it is and we are talking about it you know a lot I right. do a lot of that for my job but um that in like the forties in the fifties that's insane like that's you know that's amazing but you know there's so much like underlying sort of like cultural appropriation stuff that like made me really uncomfortable mm-hmm. um and. Mm-hmm it's hard to like sort of separate those things. Like I did it. I was able to do it and be like, wow, this is like, I think you're right. The movie is not a great uh, adaptation because I think it kind of holds back on like what they're talking about a little bit. Like, and it took me like a long time, not a long time, but longer than it should have to realize that the whole reason that both of these relationships, like why both of these people decide not to be in these relationships is because racism. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, which I think is probably more obvious in the show. But um, I just always like looking at things like that. Like what was progressive then is still probably pretty progressive now, but needs some sort of tweaking to like yeah. make yeah. it hit the same as it would have then. I, I don't know how I would feel if, if I saw South Pacific to today, 2021, um, you know, it's been how many, you know, 13 years since the revival, uh, Right. It's a long time. A lot, you know, a lot has happened, and you know, the conversation is constantly evolving. It's it's why, uh, it's why I do think that it would be interesting to see what people do with it now and what tweaks would need to be made. Uh, yeah. But I agree that you've got to be carefully taught. Still, is incredibly relevant, and I mean, it, they tried to stop uh, the authors from using it in the original show, especially when they went on tour to the South. You know, congressmen were like, "You you can't." You can't sing that when you come here. And they're like, uh, yeah, yeah, we can. We're Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> we're, the, we're the biggest thing since sliced bread. Um, but 
but yeah, the, the treatment of the Tonkinese, uh, Bloody Mary and, and her daughter are, it's such a fine line. I think they, they, they did it really well in 2008, but there is that caveat of like, it still is the 1949 view of that, which is still problematic because those stories, you know, we're not actually hearing those full stories. You're only getting a snippet. You're only getting a, you know, you're not, you know, what, what would bloody Mary write for her own story is a good question. Yeah. I, um, so that's just like one of the things I was like kind of grappling with and in experiencing this, the the thing that mostly turned me off uh, about this show a little bit is that I don't really find uh, the main love story super compelling or believable. Um, yeah. In that, and like this could have been a product of the specific version that I watched. In that, there's not a lot of chemistry or 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 uh, like sort of banter <laughs> um, between these two characters, um, and like you you come into the story with them already in love basically. And that like, for me, I, you know, I couldn't get on Emil's side, (laughs) (laughs) which was, was really frustrating for me. Cause I, I like, I didn't read the plot summary before I watched it. And I, I really thought that she was going to end up with cable (laughs) because because that just made more sense to me in my head because I just could not get on his side. And eventually I saw where everything was going, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I was like, this is, you know, this is, that would have been a twist. Yeah. But it just, I could not get on his side just because like, I mean, there's the whole thing. It's like, he's a, he's, you know, a colonizer, basically, <laughs> you right. know, that's the whole thing. He's, he's, you know, that's, yeah. that's the whole other thing. The other thing not, was not a good look, not a good, not, look. Not a great look. Um, he's also a murderer, <laughs> but you know, Rogers and Hammerstein, like a good one, yeah, like a good murderer, the good, like he, the good guys he killed, he killed a bad guy, you know, and it's the army. So they all do that. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think the main thing for me that really like, made me so angry at him and made me angry that they like actually end up together in the end is that he was, you know, when they asked him to help initially, he was like, I can't leave because Nelly. Yes. And then <laughs> Nelly jumps in basically. And I'm like, you're just going to leave your kids though. You have kids. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> it made me so angry. <laughs> like, why is it okay? And like, and that like felt inherently racist to me because his kids are like half Tonkinese. Like, and, and, and like, I'm like, does he not care about them? Like, and also that he didn't tell her that he was married before and had kids. Like, he asked her to marry him and did not tell her that he had kids. Like, it's just a bad look. <laughs> What's weird about their whole relationship is that they, like you said, they jump in, they're together, things seem great. But then they put a lot of effort into saying, but we just met. And like, that's kind of the crux of their relationship. And so... Uh, on the one hand, it makes sense. You know, if I met someone a week ago and I had two children from a failed relationship. Oh, she's, I, she's dead. She's dead. Yeah. She's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, sorry, a past relationship, not a failed relationship. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's necessarily something I would say in the first seven days of meeting someone, but I don't understand the choice to write it that way in the first place. Like mm-hmm. we could have just jumped in. They've been at war for three or four years at this point i think no wait sorry is it set in it's set in 41 i forget the uh, actual year so yeah i guess maybe they haven't been in i think, the I think you might be right 41 sounds right so uh take back everything i just said but um it just it seems so weird that like they put so much emphasis on the fact that they don't know each other especially when the other love story is also about a couple that doesn't really know each other and i 
I don't think that that story explores that enough to my satisfaction. I felt very uncomfortable. Uh, Liat feels like a very young character who doesn't have a whole lot of agency in this situation. Uh, and, you know, Younger Than Springtime is a beautiful song that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Yes! <laughs> I mean, those those are really good points. And, and, and it's it's like, can I hold these two thoughts in my head at the, at the same time? And, you know... It's one of those questions that I think comes with so many musicals when you look at them in their time and how they were written and by who. Um, the the question of like, these are essentially based on sort of true stories, mm-hmm. a lot of experiences, you know, in World War II. Um, so there is a level of truth to those kind of relationships. So the question is like, okay, did if, if these are true stories, then do they do right by them? And right. it is certainly awkward, you know, for that. But in some ways, you see the desperation for a Bloody Mary trying to give Liat a better life. And here is the answer in Lieutenant Cable. And, you know, her whole thing is is steering into this capitalism and colonialism. It's like, I'm going to sell to the GIs. I'm going to, like, I'm going to use all my resources and I'm going to get make as much money as I can to help my daughter. And then I'm going to seduce Lieutenant Cable to come get him over here and get my daughter out because everything is awful because it's a war going on and we're in the middle of you know nowhere because that is the way that her life can be better. So it's a really interesting story in that level. And I feel like in some ways that's a really sort of successful way to tell this tale that ultimately is very tragic because they don't end up together. It, you know, we don't find out what happens to her. Like so many other stories, you know, like it is in some ways, you know, echoing, not echoing, but a precursor to Miss Saigon, you know, down the road, you know, cable dies. So many other people go to their death. We assume because they're about to go off into the real, you know, battle, you know, after operation alligator. And so, you know, it, there's so many little problematic pieces and yet, there is so much truth in it too. So I love that, but I also see that like, especially in the wrong hands, it could be totally horribly racist. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think, I think, you know, it walks that line very well because I think you can tell what Rogers and Amerson were trying to do. Um, And, uh, you know, you can give them a little bit of grace. Um, Because I don't think they were trying to be racist, but, you know, interpretations after the fact and the time. And I don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, excuse anybody anything, obviously. But I would love to see, like, sort of that that mindset that you just described sort of reinterpreted onto the show. Like, like, you know, played around with the being from, like, Bloody Mary's perspective. Um, But, yeah, I think, think, like, for me, the, the, the thing was I just could not get behind... Uh, Emil Debeck as a character, as a as a hero, um, and that kind of like soured a lot of the plot for me. Even though it was really like musically, this is like such a wonderful show. I I didn't realize how many of the songs I actually already knew, which was uh, yeah. exciting. Same same here. I I honestly thought that Younger Than Springtime was just a song that was kind of everybody was born with it in their subconscious. Um, I didn't realize it was from this show let alone any show. Yeah. 
but uh yeah. yeah and then you know some enchanted evening is a is a banger watch that man right out of my hair is a banger valley high is like so, so haunting when i heard that in the overture i like immediately mm-hmm. got pumped i'm like there were chills this is such a weird theme and it like immediately set the tone that this is a, a musical with something a little dark going on something a little interesting uh, i didn't think about it until I started sort of relooking at these shows for this podcast that i reread that Mary Martin didn't want to be vocally challenged by Pinza that Rogers promised her that they would not sing together. And so that's why you have these sort of like duets where they like, he sings, she sings. They, they don't sing together, which I forget. And it's so unique. And I wonder if that's probably why you don't feel, you know, especially in certain performances, why there's any chemistry. It's like, well, they're not singing together. Of course, this is a weird relationship. I mean, it it highlights that it is a weird relationship, you know, (laughs) because they're different. But, you know, the fact that there is no people will say we're in love or, you know, anything like that. It's just kind of like, oh, oh, this is this is strange. But for me, it's cool because it's a lot of just underscoring. And that's kind of more cinematic in a way. One of the interesting things to me when I was watching these uh, shows and, and reading about them was, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein are both Jewish or at least born into Jewish families and, and I think that interesting in that they decided to take on this topic um, at this time and what that and I, just like thinking about that as like part of part of their own like experience and like writing a show about the Second World War as as a Jewish person I like had to sort of like hold that in my brain as well and, and I'm like are they trying to like you know sort of like get some things out through this and, and some yeah. um Right. Uh, some of their own personal experiences. And I don't know, like I obviously did not do any research on this, but like, I, I just, I applaud them for like, for, for getting that song in there, for getting, you've got to be carefully taught into this show and making it a, a classic in a lot of ways. Like it, that's, that is so impressive. And so, you know, like <laughs> amazing for the time. Um, and I, I want to see, I want to see like a really good version of this show because I think that I would like it a lot more with like uh, some good direction. I, I will say that the uh, the movie that I watched, while I think is not great pacing wise, it's it's very slow, um, and like it's it's a musical movie from like the fifties or six the fifties I think, um, so it's like obviously like long they they tend to cut out a lot less things in movie musicals then um but the pacing is just off for some reason um but it is beautiful like visually it is amazing to look at um so that that's one thing it has going for it <laughs> yeah they really play with the color at times it's, mm-hmm. right it's quite unique yeah i i distinctly remember there's one shot where they like slide up pink or purple filter exactly. over the camera throughout the course of the shot and it was just like so yeah. weird but yeah, they, cool. they use like, color filters a lot and like to change like moods and stuff and and <laughs> there are like parts when like nelly and and Emilia are like the instagram of its day in, in singing to themselves like in their heads it's uh right. it, it's interesting but i i think the what struck me at the time when i was you know 13 watching this movie uh, is kind of the same thing that we were talking about with the musicals, like the early heyday of musicals. Oklahoma was the longest running show of its time, and South Pacific was the second longest running show of its time, largely because there were 
three other shows. Uh, and I think like the movie was figuring out a lot of movie magic. The musicals were figuring out a lot of musical magic. Hmm. Uh, and it is still, it's so impressive that, uh, you know, some enchanted evening is just such a classic song. I didn't expect this to be relevant, but last night my wife and I watched two different YouTube videos entitled the 100 best show tunes of all time. (laughs) And neither video had any songs by Jason Robert Brown. And I was like, what the hell is going on? What I eventually realized was it's the theater teens who are making these videos. They don't care about Jason Robert Brown anymore. They're all about dear Evan Hansen, but there are still, there are still a couple of Rogers and Hammer signs. Yeah. Right. They're, they're the ones making a mistake. Not me. Uh, but there are still Rodgers and Hammerstein songs in there and there's still, it's not like it's some sort of uh, fad in any way. It is a truly enduring classic. So many of these songs. Uh, and I, I think that's, that's crazy that you can knock it out of the gate. Nobody is watching the video of the train coming towards the camera anymore, but we are still making revivals out of these two shows. I think that's incredible. I think that's, yeah. you know, that's something I, I complain a lot in general about how we don't make any new content anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> that everything keeps getting announced as like a remake or a reboot or, you know, a sequel right. or whatever. And like, I like some of them, obviously, but I'm getting annoyed. Right. Yeah. And, but like, that's not something I don't think, I don't think that's something I would ever get annoyed with on the stage. Right. Cause that's part of what the stage is about, you know? And, yeah. uh, it's, it's so baked into, into the craft of theater that it, it doesn't feel stale ever. I mean, it can, it can <laughs> but it, if you mount another revival of a Rodgers and Hammerstein show that is, you know, good enough and interesting enough to get to Broadway that I'm not going to want to see it, you know? It makes me think of having worked at RNH and having licensed so many of their shows, you know, I worked on the materials and then I, I was also licensing to, to territories around the world. And I sat next to the people that were licensing to uh, high schools and community theaters and regional theaters and professional and Broadway. And it was just remarkable how, how these shows resonate around the world that, you know, South Pacific is still done, not as, mm-hmm. not done as much as Oklahoma, but all of these shows are still very relevant and very much appreciated and what's great is that they're pretty surprising too to people that even see it over and over again that you know you find something new um even in the shows that do it more traditionally you know there's always something hopefully to find you know a new line a new interpretation a new version of can't say no or poor judge is dead that you go i never heard that line before i totally rethink this uh, you know, it's it's pretty wonderful. Lots lots going on here. I kind of I, I kind of want to keep going because I don't I still haven't made up my mind about what I what I'm voting. So I, I think we should kick it over to a, a segment we occasionally do where we, uh, you know, pretend that karaoke is a thing that can still exist and talk about which which of these songs we'd like to sing at karaoke if we ever could mm-hmm. again. Yeah, we do a lot of, we used to do a lot of show tune karaoke. It's been a while, obviously. (laughs) Speaking of Jason Robert Brown songs. Yes. Uh, We say that on on this show, the podcast, we say that shows have like a lower, a high, or a medium karaoke quotient. Like how many of the songs would be, can you like just roll out a karaoke uh, pretty easily. Somebody mentioned this to me today while I was like preparing for this, uh, that Oklahoma has a bunch of really great group numbers. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of like went into it looking for those. And I was, I think because of that surprised by how many 
great standalone songs and duets there are. For instance, I think I could fucking bring down the house with the sorry with the fringe on top. <laughs> I'm confident that that is a true statement. I also think Oklahoma has wonderful duets, which uh, mm-hmm. is is really oh, yeah. fun and nice. And and the two like couples that sing together a lot are just like they have great like back and forth. And, yeah, yeah. And it's very were, playful. Yeah, and you were saying sort of like a in. South Pacific, they were specifically asked not to do that in in some ways. So, like that's yeah. kind of great. White feels missing there. Um, I I feel like I could. I think what I would want to do would just be Oklahoma, like the you know finale, because it's fun. Mm. <laughs> but I think I could rock out on on like a, um, can't say no. Actually, yeah. you know what I would do? I would do Kansas City because that would be my jam. I, nice. Will Parker to me is like a really great, fun character in that, like, you know, he's a little dumb. He could, you know, dance. But like, so is Annie. They're both a little dumb. <laughs> I like them a lot. <laughs> um, I forgot how much I love the line, Persian goodbye, let me show you in Oklahoma. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I like Farmer and the Cowman. You know, it's uh-huh. just a great group number. Uh, yeah. It's easy, repetitive, and a lot of a lot of play within it, a lot of back and forth, you know, trying to one up each other. Yeah, that's a fun one. It really reminded me of uh, America from West Side Story. Oh, ah, yeah. Just yeah. like that, it's that similar structure of like uh, back and forth and kind of trading insults almost, and then Ooh. the same repetitive chorus. And mm-hmm. uh, I like it. You know, maybe needs a little bit of editing, maybe just Good. a tiny bit too long. But <laughs> Good parallel. As far as South Pacific. I it's for me I don't attach to as many of these songs and that might just be my own like I don't have any nostalgia for them because they're they're really good like you know like you know younger than springtime is beautiful I'm in love with the wonderful guys beautiful some enchanted evening is beautiful but I don't want to sing them they feel like more like you, you're gonna get your your friends with really good voices to sing you know the solos you know uh, right. but the group numbers like there's nothing like a name yeah you're probably gonna go back to like Oklahoma songs because it's just a lot of guys. It's a lot of dudes for the group numbers. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, when I think of the score of South Pacific, I, I, I love it so much. But you're right, because there's no, there aren't the duets that you typically have with Rodgers and Hammerstein. It, it a karaoke quotient, I think, goes down here. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, the quotient is low, but the the one song that makes up for it is, of course, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair, mm. which would be a great karaoke song as far as I'm concerned. Like I said, I, I watched this movie in that class I took in high school, but the first time I really heard I'm going to watch that man right out of my hair was at the 2009 Broadway Backwards uh, concert where they put on a concert where they like have everybody's gender swap a bunch of roles uh, and something about a whole bunch of men in like a locker room wearing towels singing, going to wash that man right out of my hair in my bisexual heart sing a little bit that <laughs> I think the song I would do from this would be uh, Honey Bun because it's just fun mm, um, yeah, and it's one. you know you know it, it kind of doesn't like really mean anything in the in the story of the the show but I kind of <laughs> like it because of that <laughs> because the show is very it's a very serious very um, you know there are fun moments and and like you have to have that and you have to have Luther's character to, to make this a, a musical you want to see. Yeah, I don't know. I just It's so hard to think because I think these musicals are both so important. Alas, we are just, we're running low on time. Yeah. Uh, I think I think we do officially need to call it to a vote. Um, okay. And Rob, uh, 
we're gonna put you on the spot. Make you go first. If, if uh, you had to choose which of these is the better show, where would you go? Uh, you know, I think when I was coming in, I was I was probably leaning South Pacific because of my love of that revival, and I love the score more for South Pacific. But I'm gonna vote Oklahoma because I think it's just so uh, important in history. I think the, I think the Daniel Fish's revival, I think secured secured the spot for uh, how it can be restaged and rethought and add so much more meaning to to not only the musical theater canon but to American history, um, despite you know certain issues that I have with the with the show. You know, uh, I think I gotta vote for Oklahoma. Perfectly respectable. Uh, Kelsey, would you like to cast your, the second vote? Yeah, I kind of came into, I came into like my, my initial watching of these shows and listening to these shows with like, okay, Oklahoma means a lot to me and I'm probably going to end up on that side. And then I was like writing my notes and doing my research and I was like, oh, I could really be convinced that this, you know, South Pacific is, it's the way to go. And, and that's, that's what it is. And I I don't know if I'm any closer to making a real decision. (laughs) I think... I think until I see a revival of South Pacific that sort of reinterprets it it and entrenches it in the sort of historical canon the way that that revival of Oklahoma did, which is like giving a lot of credit to that revival of Oklahoma. But, you know, (laughs) I think it's, you know, important. (laughs) Um, I think with that part of it and with my own personal like connection to my like worn out VHS copy of the 1955 movie of Oklahoma, I have to probably give it to Oklahoma. I just think, I think how widespread and how like differently interpreted it it has been. Um, And because, because too, maybe it's detriment. It does a lot of versions of it ignore some of the more political and sociopolitical like, um, undertones of the show and the way that the 2019 revival didn't, it has been put on perhaps more than South Pacific mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. South Pacific maybe hasn't given gotten its own chance to shine because it is so imbued with these uh, social messages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think South Pacific needs someone to do that for it. And then, right. then maybe we can go that way, but I'm going to say Oklahoma for now. This is hard. This is the hardest <laughs> one we've had so far. Honestly, you guys are you guys are saying it's hard, uh, and you have given me this great gift of uh, with two votes for Oklahoma. I know that my vote doesn't matter, uh, so I can just take this time to to say why South Pacific comes so close. Uh, and I'm going to formally vote for South Pacific, even and I don't don't even have to really put in the thought. I just have to make an argument for why it's South Pacific. Thank you so much. It deserves much. a vote. It deserves. Yeah. A it vote. it definitely deserves a vote. You've got to be carefully taught. To vote for South Pacific. Yeah, yeah, I I think to what you're saying, it didn't take a particular restaging of South Pacific to make clear how well Rodgers and Hammerstein were grappling with these very complicated issues. And I think there is a lot of very interesting material that you can't get around. Like in Oklahoma, you can kind of skate around uh, for decades Curly was just presented as the greatest guy, I feel like, in almost every production. And, you know, where we found ourselves in 2020, it's a lot easier to kind of start recontextualizing him and and 
you know, make him seem a little bit smarmier, a little bit more of a bully while still being faithful to the page. But it's, it's hard to get around. You've got to be carefully taught. Like if you're putting on South Pacific, you're putting on an anti-racist message from the beginning. And I think that's really admirable and really impressive. Do, do you object to the term anti-racist? I mean, not necessarily. I do think that was the uh, thing they're going for. But I think, you know, the thing that I want to be grappled with, in addition to like what they already are, I want to talk about colonialism. I want to talk oh, about, yeah. you know, the military industrial complex. Mm. I want to talk about, you know, how the US like fucked up the Southeast Asia for a long time and maybe still like, and I, I think, I think those are the things that I want it recontextualized with. And and it's not much effort to get into all of those things at all. And so I think that uh, the fact that it's so front facing with that message to begin with, coupled with the way that just all of the songs are so powerful. Some Enchanted Evening is just a, a beautiful song in its own right uh you know watch watch that man right out of your hair hair is uh so high energy and it's you know that this is the not exactly but kind of the fourth musical ever almost (laughs) Uh, i I find that i'm just so impressed with how good it was right out the gate um so for those reasons i'm (laughs) formally voting for south pacific uh but that doesn't matter two votes to one oklahoma is the winner of this Musical theater deathmatch. Snaps. I think we just made a really solid argument that there should be another revival of South Pacific. <laughs> I'm for that. And you know what? I'm sure it's coming to Disney Plus at some point. God knows it's not coming to the I'll, theater. I'll watch the like the movie that's the making of South Pacific or something like that. That would be kind of yeah. fun. Yeah. No, I would. I would. I would actually very much watch that movie. That would be interesting. I want like I want more like historiography of theater yeah. in yeah. The media. <laughs> there, there is. I mean, I'm hoping this comes to fruition. There is going to be a TV show called Oklahoma. Oh, um, is this an exclusive? No, no. This was a, <laughs> this was announced. Um, it, it's public knowledge. Uh, it was announced a couple of years ago uh, of a deal by the playwright and TV writer Becca Brunstetter. Um, they, they, her and her writing partner were given the rights to, I think, write the pilot. But it's it's like I I know nothing about what their take on it is. Uh-huh. But it's whether it's in nineteen nineteen oh six or if it's modern day, I don't know. I'm just very excited because she's a great writer, uh, and just sort of giving anyone the opportunity to just take the characters, take the situations, take the songs, and run with it. That would be cool. And yeah, I just want to see more of that, more of just running with it with theater. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. that's my plug. Go watch that if it comes out. <laughs> Great. Uh, thank you for segueing us into plugs, which, by the way, you can find our social media at MT, like musical theater, underscore deathmatch. That's where we are on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to find us on Facebook, take <laughs> out that underscore. Uh, but go, go vote. There's a Twitter poll at this moment, probably, if I've remembered to put it up, <laughs> where you can vote for Oklahoma or South Pacific yourself. And tell us why in the replies. We'd love to hear why you picked your uh, yes. show. Or if you don't, or if you don't think that these two shows are like the the ideal Rodgers and Hammerstein, what is? If you want, if you want to tell me why Carousel should have made it, or uh, why Allegro or Pipe Dream should have made it, you know. Uh, 
Man, I was scrolling to the bottom of my Wikipedia page to get that deep cut, and you beat me to it. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> That's all of my RNA knowledge. Um, but yeah, uh, please go engage with us on social media. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you found this podcast in the first place. We need those five stars. We like positive reviews. And while you're on the subject of podcasts anyway, you might check out a little podcast called Ruin My Life. Hosted by Kelsey Goldman and friend of the podcast, Jason Edwards. Please. Their Twitter handle is Ruin My Life Cast. Please do. Next episode is on Stephen King. So it's going to be a fun Ooh. one. <laughs> I like that because Jason wouldn't tell me what the next episode was. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> anyway, Rob, thank you so much for being with us today. This My really pleasure. Great. It was so much fun. I love talking about these shows. It was great to meet you and talk about these shows with you. And then as we... Say at the end of every episode. What do we say? Go. We're still saying it, right? I just think we need a better sign off, personally. Musical theater, musical theater, theater death match.